My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If, you, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it was taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So what I said last Sunday, and if you, if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, one of the things I said was that throughout this series, 
what we're really going to learn more and more is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And what I, what I just kind of gave you is just kind of a spoiler alert. What we're going to talk about over the next three weeks after today is we're going to talk about Jesus. So if, if you came and you're like, are we going to talk about anything else? No, no, no. We're going to talk about Jesus. Every area of subject we talk about is about Jesus. Because if we want to love one another and to love Jesus, be loved by Jesus, we have to experience who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And through experiencing this, what, what I said last week, that, that through experiencing this, we'll really begin to learn to walk in new life in Christ, as we talked last week, what it means to walk in the word and walk with one another. And this was really the whole theme of John's writing to the believers. So as he's writing, he's really writing for two reasons. He's writing to give them clarity and to give this community clarity that was really divided. And they're divided on the identity of Christ. And really, as, as John read, what we saw is that, that one of the areas that they're divided in is there's a lot of counterfeits. There's a lot of antichrists, those who really aren't the one true Jesus. And so John, as he not only wrote his pastoral letter of 1 John, he also wrote 2 and 3 John, but earlier he also wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the gospel account of Jesus' life. And through both letters, we continue to see a constant parallel. And so for you, if you're going, man, I want to know more about who that true Jesus is, go read the gospel of John. That is an incredible clarification of who Jesus was here on earth, who he is to us. And so as John really continues his pastoral letter to the church, what he's really driving home the point is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And here's, the, here's kind of the kicker, the main theme of, of chapter 2, is that it's all about the true Jesus that we are called to abide in. It's all about the true Jesus. There's, there's other counterfeits, there's other things out there, but it's about the true Jesus that really sacrificed everything and set a perfect example of love for us and to the world. And so, so John really unpacks that second chapter in the beginning by saying in Christ we have a perfect advocate. So if you're taking notes, write that down. In Christ, we have a perfect advocate. So what John is really reminding the readers here, and he's reminding us today, is is really who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. And so as he unpacks that and says, here's who Jesus is, he's really unpacking the gospel message. And so in this, in this piece, to explain to you the advocate that Christ is, the perfect advocate, I just want to explain to you for a moment what the gospel is. So the gospel in the Greek means good news. But here's, here's the catch. Good news can only be good if it invades bad space. So there's good news, but there's bad news first. Okay? I know. But we're going to go bad news, and then we're going to go good news. But all in one Sunday, so you'll walk out good. Okay? So here we go. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, he is infinite, and he is perfect as creator. And what he created from the beginning of time is for all things to bring him glory. For all things to be under him in submission to, to him. But the bad news is, what we read in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 3, what we see from the fall, is that you and I have really belittled that, we've belittled his name, and we've actually belittled his glory. And that everyone from, from one point or another, we have believed that our way is better. 
in one way or another. And, and some of us go, I didn't do that. And then we kind of live that way. We kind of act that way. And so we really believe that, man, my way is better. And we kind of act like our own God in some ways. And God's just more of a, a check-in, but we're running the show. And this is really what sin is, is man's refusal to submit to God. And so as, as we see this unpack, the bad news is really that, that at one point or another, we've, we've chosen something other than God. Not to glorify God, but to seek glory in our own lives. And so we fail to bring him glory for the gifts he's given, the way he's wired us to be in relationship with him. And we really question his authority. And, and the interesting thing really here of the bad news is that we, we do this with the brain he gave us, with the lungs he gave us to breathe life, with the, the air and, and everything around us. And this is how we treat the life we've been given. And this is what's called the great blasphemy of the universe. And so the bad news is that we constantly, before Christ, are at this state of division with God. And so all of us, as we've belittled and, and rejected God, saying our ways are better in the midst of that, because God is just, he is right, and he is holy, he's not going to allow the belittlement of his name. So because God is perfect, God's perfection and our sin cannot coexist. So there's a problem there. And so that's where our need for an advocate is. So because God is perfect, he's not able to spare wrath. Because sin and his perfection can't coexist. And so God sends Christ in the flesh and he crushes him. He sends Christ in a fleshly body like you and I live in today, and he crushes him. And by doing this, here's what God does. He pours out his wrath on the children of God, on you and I, onto the Son of God. So he pours out all his wrath on his own son, killing him on the cross. And this is where Christ became our perfect advocate. Because then God raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in those who believe. Those who would choose to believe, that same power is at work. And so when John uses that word propitiation in chapter 2, it means the removal of the wrath of God against sinners by the death of Jesus. So he's the propitiation. He's the satisfying of God's wrath, putting us in right standing with God. And so this is why the true Jesus is so incredible, why it is so important we know who Jesus is, that he is our perfect advocate, is because this is the good news, that where you and I were not at right standing with God, we were not good news, we were the bad news God sent Jesus to be the good news that you and I would have a right standing before God. And so it's not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skills, not by how good we do, how bad we do, not about following less of this, more of that, more of that, less of this. It's not about that back and forth, cat and mouse game. It is us in right standing with God because of Jesus. And so our right standing is because of our perfect advocate. It's not because of us. He's our perfect advocate because he did what we could not do. And so we've been justified. We've been made right before God by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. 
So what this means for you and I is that when we, when we do sin, in the midst of our struggle, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, the cross already did it, so I'm just going to keep on sinning. I've got this check-in card that he already died. It's not that. It's the removal of your card and stop living like that for a greater calling because our perfect advocate set us free. That we're not living a life of sin, but we're living in a life of freedom. I kind of shared with you this analogy a couple weeks back on a theme park. And I just kind of was picturing the, the life of sin and how empty sin is. How empty we feel. We, we have this, almost this like, this excitement, but, but agony of like, I don't want to sin, but, but it, I'm choosing my way. I kind of want to do this. And, and so we kind of enter it into a theme park. And we're kind of like, oh man, this is what it's going to be like. And I'm going to pursue what I want, whatever that sin is. And we get there and the park's shut down. And there's dissatisfaction. And we're not happy. It's momentary. We're excited to get into that, man, I'll do this and then I'll just repent. And, and the park's shut down. And, and here's why the park is shut down. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't buy you an all-day pass. He shut down the park and called you into his kingdom. And so what that means for us is it's no longer sin, but it's Christ Jesus. How do we live? Not according to the theme park of sin. We live according to Christ. So that's the good news, that he is our perfect advocate. So we don't celebrate us. We don't celebrate. In the, when we come on a Sunday morning, what do we celebrate? We celebrate Jesus. What we talk about is Jesus. And Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator. No one else. It's not, a, it's not a pastor. It's not a priest. It's not somebody on Facebook. There is one mediator between God and men. And the man is Jesus Christ. The man, Christ Jesus. And so we have been set free to live free by our perfect advocate. By what Jesus did on the cross. And then John goes on to just explain that. Okay, so now as you've been set free, here's, here's how we need to be living. Here's the new command I'm going to give you that's a new command, but it's not really a new command. So as we see from John, we see that in Christ we have a new command. And the command that John is giving in, in verse 7 through 11 is not a new commandment. We've, we've heard it throughout Scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, the commandment that he's talking about is loving one another. And so we see this in the Old Testament of Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the new commandment that John gives is really a reflection of what Jesus gave to his disciples. And so this is where we see from John's gospel letter, he's quoting Jesus when Jesus says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another. And, and I would imagine the disciples just kind of sitting there going, This is not new. We know we're called to love one another. Come on, Jesus. Leviticus 19, did you forget something? And then Jesus says the words that made it new. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. So as we're called to love one another, it is by the example of our perfect advocate. And so as we're called to be living in Christ and loving like Christ, we need to understand that those go hand in hand. And as we're called to live in Christ and, and love like Christ, it's a command. That's why it's called the new commandment, not the new suggestion. So, so John is really calling them, listen, we, we need to live according to this. And John says in 1 John chapter 2, he says this in verse 10 that, that John read earlier. 
Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. And so if we're going to be living like Christ, we need to be loving like Christ. And if you're going to remove yourself from a life of darkness and walk in light, you need to understand you can't do it alone. That loving one another means we're involved with one another. We're called to be in one another's lives. And what I explained last week about light, as John uses that reference throughout 1 John, is that light really does three things. Light exposes the darkness, it reveals what's in front of us, and it helps direct us to how and where we should walk. And so really that means if if we're walking in light, we're going to choose to walk in love. If we're walking in darkness, what John's kind of explaining here is that we're walking in hate. We're not walking in the light as we're called to. So these three things are really important for us to understand. If we're going to walk in Christ, we need to walk in that light. Allow that darkness to be exposed. So the sin in our life separating us from relationship with God, we need to confess that. We need to bring that before God. God, point out in me what's, what is keeping me from relationship with you. Asking him to reveal what, what's in front of me, what's keeping me from a more fulfilled relationship with you. And this is where I continually pray Psalm 139, especially those last two verses. Psalm, thir- Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out in me what offends you, what grieves your spirit, and, and point me in the way everlasting. And so asking God, if we're going to walk in line, asking God, God, would you reveal what's in front of me? What's keeping me from following you more truly? And asking him to help us. God, help me to remove those things. Help me to walk more truly. And so this is where what I said last week is this is where prayer becomes really vital to us believers. Because it's really seeking the Holy Spirit. Okay, God, I'm going to be really, I'm going to be really honest. Because I think often all of us have this better idea of ourselves than, than is really true. And so it's being really honest about ourselves. Man, God, point out those things that offend you. Point out those things that, that I need to do work on. And so really for us to love and fulfill this new commandment, the only way we're going to be able to love one another, to follow this new commandment like Christ set before us, is if we're living and walking in the light. If we're exposing the darkness, if we're choosing to walk in light. And so as we follow this new commandment, as we walk in the light... What we need to understand is our role in this world is critical. Not our living in this world, our role in this world. Because in Christ, we're to have a new view. And so our role in this hurting world as followers of Christ is that we need to understand if we're going to live in the light, if we're going to live according to loving one another with this new commandment, we need to be walking in relationship with him in daily pursuit of him. Because no one knows how to model Christ if they're not in relationship with Christ. And so in Christ, what we have, what we receive is a new view. And this is really important for us because God's love for this world is not like our love for this world. Because God loves all of us in this world. We love all the stuff in this world. So God's love is not like our love. God's love for us is not like our love for us. 
God's love for us is unconditional. It's hopeful that we would be in pursuit of him and our desires for ourselves. what fulfills us. And so this is really where, as John unpacks and says, listen, don't love the world. And this may seem confusing because in John 3, 16, John writes, for God so loved the world. So why are we not supposed to love the world if God loved the world? Our love's not like his love. What he's saying is don't follow the passions of the world. Don't fall in love with the world. Fall in love with God. Be in pursuit of relationship with God. Don't be in pursuit of worldly stuff. And so what we need is a new view. Because with that new view, seeing things through Christ means we're going to see everything else through Christ. And so that means we're going to have a view like he has seen, how he sees, responding how he responds because as John mentioned, there are many lies. There's many counterfeits out there. And they're not Christ, and they're not of Christ. They're not for Christ. They're not about Christ, and they're not the true Christ. And so be watchful of those. Put on that, that new view that we have in Christ, the new life that we've been given. Because we can go around, and I think some of us, where we struggle is that in the midst of community, there's times where we choose to fake that we're living in the light. But really, there's some areas of darkness that we're not really sharing. And so our view, although we may be able to put off to others that we're living in that new view, sometimes we're really not. And let me give you an example of this. A couple years ago, when Shauna and I were first married, I I think it was like three months into being married, I broke my glasses. I mean, just one of those like really dumb moments where I just tripped and like shattered them. And I, it was depressing because that view was like those glasses, that look, that was my look. I loved having my glasses and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to have them. And so we went to the store and I, to Sears back when that was a thing. And, uh, we, I, I got a new pair of glasses and I loved them. But what they told me was, listen, you're going to have to wait about a week until you can get the actual lenses because your eyes are pretty bad. Something needs to change. When you do a checkup and you need a new view. I said, okay, and then I had to wait. And so I went around, I kid you not, church, this is an honest moment for me. I went around for a week letting everyone believe I had these incredible new lenses. And really what I did was I took the writing off with Gugon so that I could still wear glasses because I was so attached to my view, my look, that I made it seem like I was walking in a new view and everything was good. And and I mean, it was kind of comical because someone called me out on it when I was squinting reading during a message. I'm like, yeah, I don't really have real lenses on. And, And so I think we need to hold each other accountable to that. That we've been in Christ, we have a new view. Don't don't walk in your old view. Because when I got the new lenses, when we walked back into Sears and, and the gal popped the plastic frames off that were fake. So she took the old view that was fake and she put the new lenses in. I swore I was seeing new colors. I could see text. I was reading. I mean, Shauna was driving or I was driving. And as we're driving down the road, I'm like, I could see that sign from 100 feet away, from 200 feet away. I was so excited. I wanted to share this new view that I had. I mean, I still remember that moment sitting in the car and her just looking at me going, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. I'm going, I, I swear I've never seen that color before. I've never been able to see that sign. And I was so filled with joy by this new view. See, that's what happens when we put on that new view in Christ. It helps us see everything in light of how God loves, how Christ lived. 
And so what I shared with you last week, and in light of living in the light and walking in this new view, is one of the most basic biblical principles is that whatever controls you and whatever is shaping you in your life is, in effect, the God that you are worshiping. Whatever controls and is shaping your life is, in effect, the God that you are worshiping. So let me ask that question again. What is controlling and shaping your life? What's shaping your view? Is it, is it God's word? Is it God himself? Is he speaking to you? Are you putting yourself in a position of hearing from God? Not, not, just, not just in the car, not just momentarily. Are you positioning yourself to hear from God? Are you reading his word? Are you studying his word? Are you allowing for him to control and to shape you? Because that's the only way that we walk in the new view. It's continually allowing him to shape and to control us. And in chapter 2, John uses the word abide or abiding about eight times. I promise, I counted. And his point in this is he, as he shows this verbiage, is what he's saying here is this is how we can obey and follow the true Christ. The true Christ, not the other counterfeits, but the true Christ and be in relationship with him. Because when a bank teller, and this may have changed, but for, for my sister, when she was a bank teller, what they taught their bank tellers is they never brought in a counterfeit into the bank uh, to teach them to spot counterfeit. You know what they did? They really trained them to handle the real currency intentionally. And so when a counterfeit came across, they go, wait a second, that's not real. They were, they were really focused on what was real. And so what John's kind of saying is a similar thing here. Re- really abide, remain in Christ, follow Christ. So when those counterfeits come, your response is not, oh, maybe that's still Jesus. You go, no, 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 wait a second. That's a counterfeit. That's not real. So, so don't, f- don't fill your mind. Don't flutter your thoughts with all these counterfeits. Remain in Christ, in the true Christ. And see, John's pastoral letter reflects what Jesus said in his gospel letter. So we see Jesus telling the disciples in John chapter 15, verse 5, about what it means to abide. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if Christ is not in you, the perfect advocate, the call for the new commandment and the new view, then apart from him, you can do nothing. And so we're called to abide in him. So what that means is that the only way we're gonna be able to love one another, to see this world through God's eyes intentionally, to live a life like Christ is by living and walking in the light for us to live intentionally. And how do we do that? We live according to our perfect advocate. What do, what do we do in the midst of our struggle? We pursue our perfect advocate, our perfect example of how to do that. And so church, as we come to a close, what I, wanna, what I just want us to really soak in is, is one of those last verses that John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, that says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning, 
Let that abide in you. The word of God. The message to love one another. That the gospel may be not just something that you've heard for a point of conversion or to pray a prayer, but a way that you choose to live. That you'd live according, that we together would live according to our perfect advocate that calls us into living according to a new commandment and have a new view. Let's pray.